We say all politics is local. Some say local politics is immediate, personal, and sometimes vicious. Let's meet someone who knows from experience. I'm Garland McWaters, and this is the Spirit of Leading podcast. Mayors and city councils have more direct impact on our daily lives than national politics, but nationwide voter turnout for local elections hovers around 20%, while presidential elections draw somewhere around 60% of eligible voters. On this episode of the Spirit of Leading podcast, I'm joined by the current mayor of Norman, Oklahoma, and a past city council member, Bria Clark. And she's also the director of the J.C. Penney Leadership Center at the University of Oklahoma's Price College of Business. I also add that Mayor Clark is the youngest woman to hold the mayor's office in Norman, and she's running for a second term. Just can't get enough of it. <laughs> Mayor Clark, welcome to the Spirit of Leading podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, I guess, you know, when I talk to someone who holds public office, one of the first questions I always want to know is, why on earth did you decide to do this? And, uh, and why did you seek this political office? Well, thank you for that question. You know, I've always been active in my community. I actually organized my first community service project in middle school. So it's always been something that's been close to my heart. And I got heavily involved with PTA when my oldest son started kindergarten at Norman's newest elementary school. I thought someone should start the PTA, and the principal's response was, well, why don't you do it? <laughs> and then from there, I discovered that uh, PTA, by the way, is the oldest child advocacy organization in the nation. Right. Totally gets the stereotype of, you know, bake sales and 50s dances. We do that as well, but we also advocate for important things. Like, I've personally helped reduce high-stakes testing here in the state of Oklahoma. But with the PTA council, that's like uh, the district level, Norman didn't have one. And so when I got more involved with Oklahoma PTA, I asked them, well, why doesn't Norman have a council? And I got a very similar response of, well, I don't know. Why don't you do it? So I brought back the PTA council. And so now I'm in a citywide position and I've been serving on Norman boards and commissions since 2008. So I was connected to the city, now connected to um, the city in terms of all over and the movers and shakers. And I was actually asked to run for office. I was asked if I'd ever considered it by the first properly elected female mayor of Norman, Cindy Rosenthal. And so I like to share that story because so often women need to be asked to run. They don't wake up one day and decide, I'm going to be president. I mean, some do, I guess, but the majority, in my experience, have to be asked. And so uh, she changed my life when she asked if I'd ever thought of running for office. And I hadn't. I had political internships in college, but I always thought I'd be a staffer not the candidate. And then the rest is history. So I figured if I didn't know who my council person was, as active as I was, then many other residents didn't either. And being mm -hmm. the level of government that's closest to the people and with social media, there's just no excuse for that. Like I said in my introduction, it seems like that uh, the national politics gets all the press. And of course, you watch television and whatever you, news shows you watch, and it's all about the national coverage. Only to slight, I guess, a little bit how important the local level always is. So I always tip my hat to the people who run for the local offices, the school boards and the city council, because, man, I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you're, that is Main Street. That's where you live, and uh, that's the people we need to elect really great people in those roles. Well, you're so correct. I tell people often that local government is the most important level of government. You know, we have such an interesting 
government generally in this nation with federal, state, and then the local side. But the decisions that you know myself and my colleagues make on the second and fourth Tuesday every month impact people's lives so much faster and more directly than things done at the state or federal level. And I just don't think people understand that. I was quoting uh, Robin Williams actually earlier when I talked about uh, local, personal, and vicious. Mm-hmm. He, was, he actually said that one time in one of his monologues. And, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, because it is so local and it does, and we know the people that we are, are, um, are, are, are interacting with at a personal level very often, it can get very personal. It does. You know, I can't go to my kid's t-ball game without someone pulling me aside, telling me what improvements need to be made. Same thing with the grocery store or, or anything, frankly. And I like that. And it's another thing I think that makes local government the best is we're so much more accessible, but it does have downsides. You know, it is very personal. Um, I survived a recall effort. I saw my neighbor holding up signs saying, sign the petition here, (laughs) (laughs) like stuff that I just can't make it up. Um, but yeah. And so it's, it's vicious, but can also be the complete opposite of that because it's so personal. Right. And those are the moments that I hold on to. And I, I always try and rise above it. You know, at the Christmas parade, I got booed uh, and I saw the guy boo me. And so I walked up to him and I said, Merry Christmas. And he looked so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always try to, to lead and treat people the way I'd like to be treated. Sure. But, uh, you know, it's like anyone who's ever done anything, uh, and I've read success stories of other people who were very controversial in some way, and they, they say, you know, if you're not getting criticism, you're not trying hard enough. And so we just need to kind of keep that in mind. And it's true. Well, it's kind of something we've learned kind of in leadership and in other kinds of areas is one person's solution is another person's problem. And so you fix something that you think needs to be fixed, and now somebody else is going to be inconvenienced by the solution, so they're going to be all against it. And it's just part of the dynamic of change and growth and progression and moving forward. And, and, uh, and I think sometimes we just internalize that so much that we forget that it's all a part of becoming a community and growing together. I completely agree. You know, when, with some of the attacks, I try and compartmentalize it, that they're not mad at Bria, they're mad at the mayor. And the first political lesson that I ever learned sitting at the dais as a council member was that... Um, Whatever decision I make, even if I've done all the research in the world and prayed on it, know that this is the best decision for my community, it's going to make someone angry. And the first time where I, I again, had done all the research, I knew it was going to be the perfect vote. uh, And then the very next day, I got angry emails. So that was a big growth moment for me when I had that realization. No one is above it. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen to everybody. And uh, whether it's politics or church or whatever it is, uh, you try to do something to, to, to better things, and there's always going to be somebody that's even a little bit uh, upset about that. Leadership has sort of that. It goes with the territory, right? It goes yeah. with the territory of leading. Well, I'm wondering, you know, you are uh, a director of the J.C. Penney Leadership Center, and I'm wondering... Uh, what have what did you have you learned in that that's influenced the way you behave as mayor, and what have you learned as a mayor that you take into that experience at the uh, J.C. Penney Leadership Center? Well, that is a multi-layered question. So I, I will tell you what I take from J.C. Penney and bring to politics. Some of it is straight up emotional. You know, working with these incredibly talented kids 
And then on the political side, seeing people act at their worst, it's a really nice balance where I don't completely give up on humanity because I see the future leaders out there and they're so talented and it's wonderful to see what they care about. You know, they, they care about being successful, but also about improving the world and they act on it. But then I also teach and I teach introduction to leadership and leadership in international settings. And so the phrase, you know, do as I say, not as I do, it doesn't work if you're going to be a leader. You have to walk the walk. And so holding myself accountable with leadership values and the things I teach every year, it's a nice reminder and it keeps you grounded, I think. So that it really helps me, I think, more of an emotional side from JCPenney to the mayor. But then from the mayor to JCPenney, I have the opportunity to, through my personal and professional network, to create a lot of great opportunities for these young people that I don't think just any director would have. And I never abuse it, obviously, but it, it fits together nicely. So I think most people have learned that if you're talking to the mayor about something and you have a potential business connection, she's probably going to ask, well, have you worked with the JCPenney leadership program before? You know, it's just different shadow opportunities and things like that. And I always tell my students, you know, I'll introduce you, but you've got to make the ask. And so I often find that the people I work with are incredibly generous with their time, especially when it comes to mentoring this next generation of leaders. And I'm very grateful for it. Well, I know they really appreciate it too, because uh, so I've worked with young people throughout the state uh, recently and over the years. I know how it, how, it, how it makes them feel when someone who is a leader and a, not, a notable person just takes the time to notice them and to talk to them like of just a person across the table. And uh, it's, it, it makes an impression on, I think, on both that, uh, that uh, we have incredible leaders to learn from and we have incredible young people who are coming up behind us as well. I know when you come into office, whether it's at the council level or the mayor's level as a CEO, basically, uh, there are things that happen that you did not expect to happen. And, and uh, there's also things that you thought was going to be happening that aren't. What's been your experience with that, with those two? Well, uh, I think you just described my entire first term. You know, I, 2019 was great. And then there was 2020. You know, I, I tell people that COVID is all my fault. We had a, an particularly sticky issue here in Norman. And I remember thinking, Lord, give me anything else to discuss besides this. And then COVID happened. And then I said, Lord, give me anything to, you know, change uh, our trajectory besides COVID and George Floyd happened. And so it was so many things all at once, you know, that a recall effort happened. So I, I joke that if I ever write my memoirs, it'll be titled, I can't make this stuff up because it was also unexpected. But I also believe that the universe, God, whatever you believe in, puts you where you need to be at the right time if you're paying attention. And I think I was the right leader to get us through those really tough and historic challenges, which is exactly why I'm running for a second term. It was exhausting. This pays next to nothing, so it's certainly not for the money and it's time away from my family. But with all of these unexpected things and we're still kind of coming out of it, I'm the best person for the job just because of the experience that I've had with these specific issues. I may not be the best person for the job three years from now or six years from now, but I'm running because I am now. Yeah, yeah. When I think about politics or leadership uh, and critics, because there are always people who are going to criticize regardless, uh, I think of the, the NFL quarterback. Uh, 
And the reason I think of the NFL quarterback is of the people on the field at that moment, there are 22 people on the field at that moment, and that is the only person that half of the uh, the half of the people on the field are trying to crush into the ground when he says hike. You know, he's got three seconds to do something mm-hmm. <laughs> or it's going to be, you know, lights out. And so there's no one who can understand the pressure of that moment and of what goes through the quarterback's mind as they're looking, uh, surveying the situation and running through all the possible scenarios and looking at all the cues and the keys and the things like that that they have to think of, you know, in a split second to decide do I need to change the play or run this one and what's going to happen and all, all on and on and on. And then they say hike and then it's mayhem for three or four seconds and then you do it all over again. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody gets to criticize the quarterback unless you've played quarterback. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yes, I can totally understand that. You know, I had to make a lot of tough decisions in 2020, but I did my research, relied on the professionals and, and I think made the best decisions possible for our community. But it is scary. It's like, I don't know, you got to jump, right? Right. And fortunately, I know now that in a moment of crisis, I don't hesitate to jump. And I'm very proud of that. Yeah. Well, you learn, you grow with the job. You learn the, you learn the, the job. You learn what happens under pressure. You learn, I guess, to trust yourself, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask you, like, what are some of the personal lessons you've learned about yourself having gone through all of this, you know, for several years now? What do you think, how do you think you're different because of the experience? Well, I, I thought I had thick skin before, but I certainly have thick skin now. I, I learned a lot more about self-care and how important it is. And that was the worst summer of my life. And it was very difficult. And I learned to take care of myself a little bit better to get through those times. And so I, I preach self-care every chance I get, especially with my students, because you got to start those habits early. I learned that I can withstand criticism when I know I've done my research and I'm making the best choices possible. And I know that I don't make decisions to get reelected. I make decisions because they're the right thing to do. And I'm good with that. I I can live with that. And so, yeah, uh, I can, (laughs) if I can survive 2020, I can survive anything at this point. Well, I would say, uh, hopefully as a matter of encouragement uh, to you and any other leader listening that, uh, Leaders are the people who help people help someone go from one place to another because they can't do it on their own. And that's the way I've always thought of as a leader. The leaders help us get someplace. They help us move forward. They take us places that we wouldn't even thought about going maybe, but they have the vision for it and they can tell the story so that I can see myself in that vision and say, well, maybe I want to go there too. And so they are in that position to, to help people move, move forward. And, uh, and even though there might be criticism, there might be, uh, you know, you, and you never know if you're right. You never really ever know if you're absolutely right because in any decision-making, uh, it's not whether you're right or wrong. It's whether things came out like you thought they were going to mm-hmm. or they don't. You know, you, they came out as expected or not as expected. So if you have a good decision process, if you have a way that you check through your decisions and make your decisions, you know, I'm comfortable with this because it's worked for me before, I'll do it this way again, and your process is good and solid, then, you know, you don't know if it's going to be 100%, but you know you're comfortable with how you got there. Maybe that's what I heard you saying to me. Yeah, definitely. Data-driven decisions. I can't stress that enough. And when you make data-driven decisions, you almost always have data afterwards to show you how you were successful, (laughs) which we have with our our COVID data. So I'm very happy with those decisions. 
well, you have to rely on something that's factual. You know, it's not just grabbing at straws, but you feel like, well, I know what's going on here. And then uh, the, data, the data that we have to work with is probably the most solid things that, uh, you know, we can, we can really do. And, I, you know, I preach data-driven decisions all the time, but then you also have to have that kind of gut instinct at the same time and then find that middle ground. You know, I had the data, but did I have the guts to take action? And so it really has to be both mm-hmm. and for leadership to be successful. And I, I hope everyone listening understands that it's not just from the books and it's not just from your heart. It right. has to be both. Right. It is a blend. That's, that's for sure. I think there's a lot of great leaders who will tell you that. And it's a little bit of both of those things. Well, uh, speaking of leadership, and, uh, and I know you're very involved in all of very aspects of it. Uh, the title of this podcast is The Spirit of Leading, and I'm just wondering, what does that phrase mean to you, uh, the spirit of leading, and how would you uh, say that shows up in your own approach to leading? Well, I think spirit's very personal, and so for me, it shows that leadership is different for everyone, and so I I love that it's called The Spirit of Leading, because you're going to get a different interview each time because of our different kinds of leadership. And so for me, it's something that guides you. You We talked about having a pattern for decision-making. I think once you've been an established leader and and got a few tough decisions under your belt, that shapes the spirit of your leadership. And sometimes when you know you've got the drive, but you're not sure what leader you are, it'll take one of those moments to help you define it. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I think we're shaped by our leadership, yet our leadership also shapes the outcome. And so... I guess we all find... uh sort of our own moments of truth, you know, the times when we have our own profile and courage to, to live up to uh, because of a choice or decision we're going to have to make that we know that's going to have, some people are going to love it and other people are just going to go, what mm-hmm. is she thinking? <laughs> <laughs> so, so. I know uh, we live, you know, in a, it's kind of a different day and time than we did maybe 25 or 30 years ago, where national politics uh, seems to be on everyone's mind at this time. Uh, how have you seen that uh, our national political climate uh, show up at the local level? Has it been an issue, and uh, how have you handled it? I've definitely seen it here in Norman, and I think that was something you're going to see in any college town, especially as, you know, social media helps the sharing of information, but then you've got a younger generation who does not hesitate to act on information. And so, for example, with the, the George Floyd murder, we had so several rallies. They were all peaceful. We didn't have any issues with it, but there were many that were organized. One was on campus. One was by a high school student. We had another one by a high school student. And then there was our activist group. And so I think because of that active, educated group that's paying attention, college towns are going to see that probably more than, especially here in Oklahoma. Norman saw it more than most other cities in our state, frankly. So I've definitely seen it here, uh, but there are some things we just don't touch at the local level. You know, uh, partisan politics don't fill potholes. Uh, it doesn't matter if I'm for or against abortion or love or hate guns, that pothole's still going to need to be exactly, filled. Exactly, right. So uh, that's, you know, we've, we've had people talk about abortion here and, uh, you know, all sorts of, I think, very hot-button issues but there's got to come a time where you communicate that that is not something we, we do at this level, but somehow redirect them and encourage them to stay active. That's what I always like to do. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's important that people understand the level that they're dealing with and what a city government 
is uh, is really supposed to provide for them. And, and I'll add to that. I think it was very educational during COVID, kind of the, the boundaries that we have here in Norman. We're the county seat, and we have a lot of state-owned land, uh, including the university, obviously, Griffin, and then school districts are also political subdivisions of the state. Mm-hmm. And so when things are being shut down and mask mandates, I would get some of the nastiest emails about, well, why aren't masks still required in schools? I'm like, well, it's not my decision and I got to explain that or why isn't it the county courthouse why is the football stadium at full capacity and these were just things that I just politely said hey thank you for reaching out but here's who you need to speak to about that and so I think it was an educational time for Norman residents as well I think there's a lot of education that uh, can happen among our citizenry top to bottom you know throughout all those levels because the more I hear the the conversations about politics and what what people reacting to that uh, it's it, it's pretty clear to me that most people just don't really quite know how their government functions mm-hmm. at any level. They just hear a lot of stuff, you know, and they get all uptight about it, and they act out and scream and shout and 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 uh, and protest or whatever they do, uh, but really not from a really deep level of understanding of how things actually work. Mm-hmm. And that seems to make things a little bit more complicated. It does. It does. And so as we work with our young people, maybe help, helping them to understand the real mechanics, you know, of uh, how government works and can certainly be helpful to them. Uh, the, how does the leadership program at uh, OU, do you deal with that at, at all in any way, or is it mostly just business-related leadership? It's mostly business-related leadership. You know, they, the students get recruited heavily. We've for 28 years of producing the most well-rounded, job-ready, culturally competent students in the Price College of Business. But I have tried to add pieces that help them be truly well-rounded. For example, we have a senior series curriculum only open to our seniors graduating that year that have nothing to do with business. You know, it's creating a budget. It's how, what do you look for in a 401k? How do you make a large purchase like a home or a car? And I'd love to add one on civics. You know, you better have been voting this whole time, but now you really need to start paying attention. (laughs) Right. So that's where I get to add, I think, more of the functional uh, knowledge that, you know, these kids are real bright, but it's a great big world out there and they haven't lived it in certain ways yet. It is. And I think it's uh, one of the heartening things to me personally over my years of being in leadership and studying it and so forth is that when you really get down to it, uh, democracy is the great leveler. Because no matter how rich you are or where you went to college or anything about your your personal life, no matter whatever that might be, everybody gets one vote. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets one vote. And all you've got to be able to do to vote is be of age and registered in the area where you live so that they know who you are. That's it. That's the, those are the only two criteria that I've ever heard that it takes, to, you know, you can even be crazy <laughs> and vote. I mean, there are, no, there are no other criteria except age and residence. And obviously we want people to register so we know who they are. So uh, to me, that is a real, uh, a real positive for some reason. It, it makes me feel heartened that if I can go out and tell or any leader can go out and tell their story or share their vision and enough people capture it or believe in it, they can get a vote. 
they can they can create a movement they can get people to follow and uh, something can happen positive to me that's that idea of democracy is so tremendously pure at that level regardless of how we go about doing it uh, it still seems to have a great uh, a calming effect on me to know that everybody can vote and it don't care if you're a billionaire or you know you're bankrupt you still vote yeah no i completely agree I, i'd love to see us have more voter outreach in the lower income areas and more diverse areas because whether they have that right or not I feel like some have been disenfranchised and don't feel like their vote matters or, but as we saw in Georgia, oh my, you can make a huge difference when people organize. And so I think we're going to see more of that. You know, if I was queen of the world, I would move voting to Saturdays Mm -hmm. and make it easier to vote. Um, I would allow non-citizens to vote in local elections because we're not talking about the American Constitution. We're talking about voting on a sales tax initiative that they're going to pay, whether right. of their citizen status or not. Or, you know, a public transportation system that has nothing to do with being an American citizen. And I think that's a, a novel way to, I think, increase participation on, again, the most important level of government that impacts people's daily lives more directly. Well, we've had some... Uh definitely some specific ideas about what citizenship is and isn't you know over over the years and how people are impacted in fact i've uh i've had uh friends rail against me because of my some of my ideas about uh about immigrants and immigration and so forth they so they don't pay taxes i said which tax do they not pay that you do other than maybe and if they if they're working we're legally they're also being pay, they're also paying income tax and they're also paying social security tax which they will never collect and uh, and and some other kinds of I can't think of a tax that they don't pay that we do other than maybe just those that one we've so, had you know some of the the lowest immigration ever which some people celebrate but then we have so many job openings and like you said these these hardworking people pay into our social security benefits. And, and I think that not only are we seeing jobs go unfulfilled, but it's going to have negative impacts. We touched on the social security. If we have less workers, we have less people paying into it. And so, you know, my kids, what is their social security benefits going to look like? Mm-hmm. And so the, the long-term impact of having a shorter population, either through just natural reproduction or limiting immigration is very real. And we're mm-hmm. just seeing the beginning of it. Right. Well, I think we have a lot of room to learn in, uh, in that regard. And I know, you know, a lot of those issues hit home at the city level because this is where you meet those people and this is you hire them to come and provide services for you you know lawn services or whatever or you go to the the uh, food services and they're working there or, or hospitality whatever it might be and uh, and they are here uh, and they are uh, they may not be citizens but if they're here legally you know documented uh, they are contributing and so they're part of the community in that way. And I hope that people at least accept that. You know, so. Well, and I think our diversity is one of our greatest strengths. And again, I think it's a benefit of being a college town because we attract so much talent from around the world to work and attend the University of Oklahoma. And I love that Norman residents have the ability to connect with people from all over the world mm-hmm. right here. I will tell my students regularly, you're a global citizen. I tell my kids this. 
you know, it just because you're, yes, you're an American, yes, you're an Oklahoman, yes, you're a Normanite, but you belong to the world as well. We're more connected than we've ever been before, right. and that's never going to go the opposite direction. And so I believe in learning a second language. I believe in traveling and embracing that role. And I, I would like to see more Americans do that as well. Yeah. You work with the college community a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, what opportunity do you have to reach out to young people who are not university students uh, in the community so that they can see the opportunities that they might have in being involved in local government? I absolutely adore mentoring. And so I, I never turn down on, hey, can I come to City Hall? Boy Scout troops and Girl Scout troops often need government badges. I can't even tell you how many troops I've spoken to. And we haven't had them leading the Pledge of Allegiance in quite some time down here at City Hall. We'll have to bring that back. But I have organized events like a girls empowerment event on International Women's Day. And it was for eighth graders and talked about everything from financial wellness to physical wellness. We had a panel of uh, female city staff in very high positions and from a variety of areas, from law to water treatment. And so they got to you know see themselves in leadership positions. And I got, gosh, this was it was March of 2020. It was right before the world ended. Uh, but so I just got a letter from one of the students that attended it a month or so ago. And that almost brought me to tears. She said, you know, I've been meaning to write this letter and I finally got it done, but you changed my life. And now I'm trying to, you know, I'm an engineer and I noticed that there's not a lot of girls signing up for engineering. So I reach out to the middle schools now because now she's in high school. I also have student resident roundtables. You know, I think every mayor of a college town should lean into the fact that you're a college town and there's that struggle between Norman proper and the university. But student residents are student residents. You can see our sales tax revenue differ when they're not here. So everyone <laughs> needs to get on board. Uh, and again, they bring great diversity. And so I have two different roundtables. One is for OU and more Norman students. Just, you know, I'm not... 21 and Norman, so I don't know what their challenges are. But then I also have 6th through 12th grade. And I do have a freshman in high school, so I know a little bit about what life is like when you're a freshman in Norman, but it's great to hear directly from them and what issues they, they're seeing, like what lens do they view our community from and where can we improve. It's been one of my favorite extra things that I've taken mm -hmm. on as mayor. Well, that certainly is to be commended. And also the right spot to start working because uh, – you know, the young people are the people who's, who are the most impressionable and they're starting to see and learn and, and be engaged and feel like that they have an opportunity to offer something. You said something about that women have to wait to be asked. I would tell, I would say to all women listening right now, <laughs> don't wait to be asked. <laughs> Just go do it. So I have seven granddaughters. Mm -hmm. And boy, I tell you, I don't want anything holding them back. Well, we're working with my students. I find that uh, the younger generation doesn't have... Even like I feel like I had it less than maybe someone a generation ahead of me, but the generation below me seems to be even more bold. So it's it's very encouraging, and I am excited to see it. But I've you know talked about voting rights. I'd love to see, and some communities have done this. One of my fellow mayors, they allow 16-year-olds oh. to vote in local elections because again, it's not voting on the constitution and it starts getting them voting at a younger age. And I try and encourage all OU students to register to vote here, not in some sneaky way to get extra votes, uh, but you know, it, it gets them paying attention and I tell them it makes it easier for you to vote and it's not a lifelong commitment to Norman, I promise. Yeah, Getting young people involved at the earliest possible age certainly I think is where 
what we really have to work hard at as an older generation to encourage them. I completely agree. I'm very proud to be Norman's first millennial mayor. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't wait my turn. I decided there was something that needs to be fixed, and I was the woman for the job. And so that's what I tell young people, too. If you want to run for office, you don't have to wait till you're a certain age uh -huh. or have a certain job or a certain amount in your bank account. Your voice is just as important as mine is because, yes. you again, it's just a different lens. So value that and, and advocate for it. Yeah. And I, the only thing I get concerned about is especially in some states, kind of like ours, where it can be a little one-sided at times, why bother? My vote doesn't count. You know, and I get that. I do, but it certainly doesn't count if you don't go vote. That's right. <laughs> it certainly doesn't count, absolutely. You say, well, that's, uh, well, hopefully we'll uh, pound that message home. And I think a lot of what, uh, uh, and this is a little bit of a sidebar, what a lot they're saying is that they don't feel like they're involved in the, in the process deep enough for their vote to count. And I tell people, if you're waiting for the general election, you're behind. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, everything is done in the primary elections and in the run-up to that. Uh, so uh, don't wait until people start talking about it and, you know, it's October. Uh, you need to be involved back six months, nine months sooner as your as candidates are starting to take shape and they're starting to get out there and, and present themselves. Uh, you got to start getting to know who's running. And if there's no one running that you think is appropriate is there someone you know who might like someone ask you you know so let's get so-and-so to run maybe they'll stir things up and give us some choices and who knows what might happen yeah definitely. so that's kind of the way that's supposed to work i think but uh one last question uh, uh considering all the things we've talked about in this interview if someone a uh, young person is thinking about well you know i think maybe i like to, i would like to do that you know i'm 18 19 21 years old whatever i would like to get involved uh, locally uh, and maybe run for an office, what advice would you give them? How would you tell them to get started? Apply for city boards and commissions. You know, it's very low bar to get involved. And it's, and that was what I did. I started on the tree board because that was the only opening. And we touched on earlier how I'm from Kansas. Mm -hmm. So that was quite an educational experience coming from a giant prairie and being on the tree board. But eventually I got moved to the library board. And then I got started advocating for what we call Norman Forward, which is like our maps kind of sales mm -hmm. tax initiative to improve quality of life. And I got put on the Norman Forward Sales Tax Citizen Financial Oversight Board. That's a mouthful. And so, but you get to see how the process works. You get to meet staff. And so by the time that you are ready to run at the local level, you already have pretty good understanding. And it helped me a lot because I was 30, 20, 33 when I first ran. And I would get, well, you're awfully young. And I could say, well, I've served on city boards and commissions for eight years. And they're like, <laughs> oh, okay. And that was suddenly good enough for them. Yeah. And so that helps get your track record established as well. And vote regularly because at some point they will pull your voting record and you know people can't see how you vote but they can see if you vote mm -hmm. so not only will they check it but that also you know for example i'm in a campaign right now I, I can target my voting based on who i know votes in local elections and so you have a higher chance of hearing directly from candidates if you're what we call a super voter mm -hmm. so get involved in boards and commissions or, and if you can't do that, even nonprofit boards, it's a great way to meet people in your community and movers and shakers. Join young professional organizations. I joined Norman Next, which I've got a few years left uh, in it uh, until I age out, but that was a great way to build my network locally and, again, vote regularly. Well, there's plenty of opportunities to be involved, and I guess that's probably 
the message that I would send out uh, based on what you're saying to all of our young people who are listening. And you know, we work a lot with our young, uh, uh, our 20s and our 30s around the state. And we really want to encourage them to not wait. You know, we say, why wait to inherit a state when you can create one? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's what young people really need to understand is that their participation isn't just echoing what someone else is doing. It's really having to say to create something that they want for themselves. I think that's so important. You know, I'll have students working at a university say, oh, well, I can't wait to get out of Oklahoma. My vote doesn't matter. Or this is so backwards, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, so where would you go? To somewhere where it's easy? To somewhere where you can't even make a difference because everything's been accomplished, which that place doesn't exist, by the way. But I tell them that if you want to make a difference, if you want to truly see the fruits of your labor, you're here. This is the place where you can accomplish so many great things. So stay in advance because we need you. I would, and I would hasten to say that from my own experience of living in several states and knowing and knowing people in those states, you know, who are politically involved and so forth, I would say that Oklahoma is one of the most accessible states uh, that you can be involved in and get to know the people who are already leaders. I mean, I think our political leaders from the governor right on down are, and our U.S. senators are extremely accessible uh, in Oklahoma. And I guarantee you, I've been in a lot of states where you can't even meet the mayor. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, Oklahoma is really a good place to be involved and make a difference. And uh, regardless of what one's political ideas are, there's plenty of room for them. I completely agree. So, yeah, it's a great, great opportunity and great place to, to be. Well, listen, uh, Bria, thanks so much for taking your time today. I really enjoyed the conversation. And I uh, want to wish uh, Norman its luck, its best luck on going through this process of, uh, of electing as its slate of officers and also good luck to you in the, running a great campaign. And I guess I would be remiss to say we hope that the other campaign, the other candidates run great campaigns because with everybody one runs a great campaign, you have a lot to talk about. I agree. You know, you have a lot to talk about and compare ideas. So listen, uh, thanks so much for, for your time and best wishes to you and uh, the, the city of Norman as they continue to move forward. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, that's Bria Clark. She is uh, the director of the J.C. Penney Leadership Center at the University of Oklahoma's Price College of Business and the mayor of the city of Norman, Oklahoma, my guest on this episode of the Spirit of Leading podcast. Well, that's it for this installment of the Spirit of Leading, and I want to thank you for listening. I also encourage you to recognize and appreciate anyone who demonstrates the spirit of leading at work and in the community where you live. When you join the Empowered, you'll get a notification of my latest podcast and the latest post in my weekly Empowering Thoughts series. Please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And until next time, I urge you to live empowered each and every day and unleash your creative energy as you enliven the heart, enlighten the mind, encourage the spirit, and enlarge the expectations of living in yourself and in others. I'm Garland McWaters. Mm -hmm.